about anything on the Sermon on the Mount. How'd things go with John last week? John Dillard? Oh, yeah, that was good. He just he had told Bob um, or Jim Smathers to let him know in the beginning to turn the tape recorder on. That was Jim's one job. And he forgot. He didn't do that job. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. He had a lot. He felt like he wanted to get through. Wasn't enough minutes in the time in the session. And you are also congenial and so cool and patient. Okay. The Lord did. <laughs> Who are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'm glad that you uh, you see it that way. Yeah. Who? Tell him. bumper sticker that says, Lord, make me the man that my wife thinks that I am. Oh, I've never seen she, that. There isn't one like that. It's, oh. Yeah, you just made that. I, well, it's, Lord, make me the person that my dog thinks that I am, usually. Hey, now that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, it doesn't matter how bad the day's been. When I go home, the dog always thinks I'm the greatest thing in the world. You have a dog in the house? Yeah, yeah. That's why I love dogs. Oh. Faithful. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you've done wrong, how many times you've blown it today, the dog always thinks you're great. Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Well, mostly he wants to be served, but. <laughs> what is his, his or her name? Asa. It's a, it's a she? It's a he. Asa from the Bible. Oh, sorry. Asa. King Asa. Yeah. Or if you're more of a secularist, you might say Asa from the Andy Griffith show, you know, was the guard at the bank. Worry. What is worry? Worry about tomorrow. Worry about tomorrow? That doesn't tell me what it is, though. <laughs> what is it? Needless preoccupation. Ooh, good. Needless Preoccupation. What's the word for worry in Spanish? Preoccupado. So their word is preoccupied for, for worry. It means you're not thinking about what you should be thinking about. That's good. I like it. All right. We can just go home now. <laughs> the Spanish word for the day. Yeah. We've done it. Ruth, Ruth uh, Bell Graham said this in uh, Today's Christian Woman several years ago. She said, worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive of one another. Corey Ten Boom said that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Profound statements, both of those, right? Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. For the sake of young people, will you tell us who Carrie Cor Cory Ten Boone was? Cory Ten Boone was a part of the, she was in a Russian appeal, uh, uh, not appeal, I guess, but a, a refugee camp. Uh, you, you all know who she was? She was living in the Netherlands, right, during the World War II? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, she was Jewish and, and was spent time in a Russian concentration camp, uh, her and her sister. Um, I mean, I read her biography years and years ago. I don't know how much more I can tell you off the top of my head. But that's who she, that's who she is, was. Um, according to data from the National Institute of Mental Health, some 38% of girls ages 13 through 17, 26% of boys have an anxiety disorder. So that's almost 40% of girls between 13 and 17, and almost 30% of boys have an anxiety disorder. On college campuses, anxiety is running well ahead of depression as the most common mental health concern. According to a 2016 national study, so this is pretty recent, and they studied more than 150,000 students. So this is not some random, you know, we studied 300 people. This is 150,000 students by the Center for Collegiate Mental Health at Pennsylvania State University or Penn State. Meanwhile, the number of web searches involving the term has nearly doubled over the last five years, according to Google Trends. And the trend line for depression has remained relatively flat at the same time. So, worry, anxiety, is going this way, while depression, which we hear so much about, stayed pretty much flat. This is among young people. Most everyone worries, right? I, I joke with my wife all the time because sometimes she'll ask me a question about something and I usually look at her and say, if I tell you this, it's going to give you something else to worry about. And I would rather you just keep worrying about what you're already worrying about. You know, because she's going to focus on something. She's going to be needlessly preoccupied with something. I like that definition. That's really good. Needless preoccupation with something that shouldn't be. And takes your focus off of what you should be on. Worry. Anxiety. Being anxious about something that's in front of us, potentially. Something else I read, and I think I'll get to this a little bit later, that 91% of the things that we worry about never materialize. 91%. See, that's what needless. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I'm going to read these verses, and then uh, we're going to unpack this a little bit together. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They never, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, <clears throat> some things about worry that we need to unpack from this passage. First of all, I would say that worry is unfaithful. It's an unfaithful behavior or process because of who our master is, because of who God is. He says at the very beginning, for this reason, which points back, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. He's pointing back to the previous verse. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve the world and God. You're going you're gonna to have to decide. Jesus states that a Christian's only master is God. We are the most unhappy and most anxious and most... Um, We're, we're, we have the most difficult time when we are, as Christians, trying to identify with the world. That's where we find ourselves in trouble, right? Yeah. That's where we put ourselves in a bind. It's like putting your right foot in your left shoe, you know, in a tight-fitting shoe at that. It just doesn't go, does it? It just doesn't work that way. And so it is for us Christians. Jesus is saying, because God is your master, don't be anxious. If God is your master, don't be anxious. A bond slave's responsibility is solely to his master. To appease and, and make his master happy. A bond slave, a servant, had the responsibility only to serve the master. What does the master say? And yet what we end up doing is becoming needlessly preoccupied with the things of this world, don't we? And when we allow ourselves to do that, it fuels itself. It's a snowball rolling down a hill. It just continues to grow and grow and grow. We have our focus on the wrong things, not on what we should be, what we're made to be, what we're equipped to be, which is a bond slave, a bond servant to the Lord. Believers, so for believers to worry, for us to worry is to be disobedient and unfaithful to the master. For Christians, worry and anxiety are forbidden, foolish, and even sinful. Right? Again, all of us do it. It's probably the most common sin among Christians, I would, I would guess. Have you ever known anybody that never worried? There's always something, right? Everybody's worried about something. I don't know. I know somebody that never worries. You do? She, never. she doesn't worry? I bet she does. She worries about Corban. Worried about him? You're not worried about him. About what? Yes. Oh no. <laughs> this is the answer of the Lord. What I keep thinking, why do I gain by worrying? Zero. Right. I do I do think that you can work toward becoming more mature in that, but most of us will have something. You never get anxious about anything. I used to. <laughs> 
Charles Wait. driving doesn't bother you? <laughs> no, she just puts her head down now. What's up? I'm pretty comfortable with most things, but you know, at the hospital the other day with my mom, I had some stuff in my car that I needed to transfer to hers, and we were parked on different sides, so I said, I'm gonna walk down with you before you leave, and I'm gonna put this in your car. So we found her car, and I said, you can take me to my car, and I'll get the stuff and put it in yours. So I got in the passenger side, and she's navigating the parking lot and parking deck at this hospital, which are always tight, right? Lord, it was the worst 10 minutes of my life, you know? I don't get too anxious usually, but when somebody else is driving, I can. And How old is your mother? My mom is uh, 78. She's young. And I'm not sure she needs to be driving anywhere after that. It was kind of a wake-up call, you know? That's not the same woman that I grew up with. She was a much better driver 40 years ago than she is today. <clears throat> So what I'm saying is that all of us so have experience with these things. We, we have concerns. Maybe we couch it in different language, but basically we're, we're thinking about things that we don't really have any control about, but we're thinking as though we do, or we could, or we might, or we should, right? Most of us, most of us. Lily may be the exception to the rule. What he says here, the connotation is... Stop doing it. Do not be anxious about your life. And it's to stop something that's already in progress. And to stop it with the idea of not starting back. You know, stop smoking, not to start again. You stop this, not to start again. This is not a temporary thing. It's a permanent. Stop doing it. That's what the Lord says. Stop being anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, etc., etc., And don't start back. There's no point in it. It is needless preoccupation. About your life. This is an all-inclusive command. It's not just about any particular thing, but it's about all of life. It applies to the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. The whole being. The whole part that we are worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God goes back to what I was saying Sunday we say we believe in the sovereignty the providential control of God but our lives and our attitudes very often don't don't support that do they I believe God it's God's will that God will do his will and God can be trusted but, I wish he would do this, or i like for him to do that, or I'm not real comfortable if he asks this, or says this, or makes this happen. Worries the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God. Yet, it is a sin that Christians commit frequently. The English word worry comes from old German word, which means to strangle. Worry strangle or choke that was the old german word it's pretty fitting you can uh you've probably heard this before but a dense fog if you you take a, a glass of water 
if it is turned into a mist, oh, how does this go? A dense fog that fills up a city block 100 feet in depth has one glass of water as the culprit. 60,000 million droplets of water, tiny, tiny droplets of water. So all the water that would make a city block full of fog 100 feet high, the water, if it could be shrunk down into water, would only fill up with one glass. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? So a little water, a few gallons of water can potentially cripple a city. And that's the way it is with worry. A little worry is very similar in our lives. It can have devastating results. Someone has said worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which if encouraged will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained out. So worry is the opposite of contentment. Worry is the opposite of contentment. Contentment should be our normal position, our normal attitude. Why? Because God owns everything, because God controls everything, because God provides everything. And so rehearsing those things, reminding ourselves of those things can help us battle this preoccupation that is needless, right? Second thing, worry is unnecessary because of our Father. We have no reason to worry because God is our Father. He uses here, he, he identifies three different things, three common things in life that we worry about. Worry about food, sustenance. Should we worry about food? He says, consider the birds. Do they plant? Do they harvest? They don't, do they? They're loving this rainy weather, right? The worms come to the surface. They don't have to go searching for them. They're just right there. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't cultivate. The Lord provides for them. But He doesn't just drop it out of the sky, you know. He's built them with instincts to go look, to search, to find. But He's also provided, right? Sure. So He's not telling us that He's going to do that for us either. There is a, 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 a part that we play in this, but He is faithful to provide. <clears throat> He says, if he does this for birds, are not humans more valuable? Are you not more value than they? If Father feeds them, why wouldn't he feed us? Can we believe that he will feed us? Many claim the world's food supply is diminishing. You know, we, we see this, this takes on its own life uh, in our world today. Uh, but it's not true. If you do the research and find out, the problem is not the supply of food, it's the distribution of food, and it's the corrupt people that stop the flow of food. Okay? That's the problem. In fact, the, uh, the people that study these things have said that 10% that of the land in the world designated for agriculture could produce enough food for all the world to eat at the U.S. consumption level. To let that sink in. So it's not that there's a lack of supply of food or 
the ability for food. It's the corruption of man that's causing the problem. Worry about food or worry about longevity. How long am I going to live? You know, how, you know, we, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I remember telling my wife years ago, how did that go? It was something like, um, we were talking about health and taking care of ourselves. And my attitude when I was, you know, 25 was that, hey, if I can live, if I can get 50 good, healthy years, then I don't care after that, right? Well, now that I'm on the north side of 50, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe 10 more wouldn't be bad, right? 10 more good, healthy years. And I imagine when I get there, I'll be thinking, you know, a few more. We, we get, we want, we always want a little more, don't we? Just a little more. Just a little more. Longevity. But that's because we get focused and think that our destination is this world for some reason. I mean, we know it's not as Christians, but yet we act and live as though it is. That this, this is something to hold on to when God has promised something entirely different and better. The best version that this can be for our future. And I'm not saying any of us want to intentionally cut this time short, but knowing that we don't cling to this world as though this is it, like those who don't have hope in Christ do, but knowing that this is the, this is the precursor, this is the warm-up, and that there's something far greater in store for us once we pass. Really, truthfully, the hardest part for any of us is what's that crossing going to be like, right? What's the crossing going to be like? That's, that's what's would be at the heart of Eugenia's issue right now is that she's ready to go meet the Lord, but she's not quite sure what that going to meet the Lord is going to look like on this side of things. And that's true for all of us. And so a little worry might creep in, a little concern about, am I going to suffer? You know, what's it going to be like? Nobody knows. The Lord's given us promises, though, that it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. It's going to be better than anything you've experienced in this life. So when we continue to rehearse the promises of God, it enables us to stop worrying and fretting about it. You know, the days in this life, God says He has, he has uh, already appointed them. He knows how many He has set out for us to live. And it doesn't matter what we do. We're not going to change it, right? You may... Uh, we we talked about, you know, Mickey Mantle said I'd have lived, taking a little better care of myself, I'd known I was going to live this long. Well, <laughs> truth of the matter is his days were crafted anyway. Are we saying that we changed it? I don't know if we did. I think God knew ahead of time how many days he had appointed for him to live. Every man knows, or God knows, what every man's going to do. If he knows the, the number of hairs on our head, he knows the days that we're going to live. Scripture tells us that in Psalm 139, 16. I think that's where that's at, right? Who's got that memorized? <clears throat> Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. So God knew before we were ever born, before we ever came into this world or were ever conceived, 
He knew how many days there would be in our life. That's kind of funny, isn't it? We fret about it, think about it, try to squeeze as many. I'm going to go out and run a few laps so I can maybe add a few days to my life. God says, I've, I've already set out how many you're going to have. So I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of what he's given us. But we're not going to add to our longevity beyond what God has determined. Worry about clothing. God clothes nature, flowers, plants, grass. How much more will he provide for us? Worry is unreasonable because of our faith. Worry is inconsistent with our faith in God. For people of faith, worry is the opposite of that. It's, faith is a confidence. Faith is a contentment in God. Trusting in Him completely. In whatever circumstances might be. I read this week, it may have been in the quarterly, that fear God and and you will fear nothing else, or don't fear God and you will fear everything else. That sounds good. It's very accurate, very true. So when we have our confidence in God, trusting Him and whatever we come in, we, we learn to be content there. That is the greatest combatant for worry. That, that diffuses worry quicker than anything else. Because worry is the opposite of that. It means that I'm in control and I have to fret and be concerned about what's taking place or not taking place or what the future holds or doesn't hold, right? I'm struggling and working with those things. But if I'm content in what God has provided and crafted for me and called me to, then I don't have to worry about those things. I don't have to be needlessly preoccupied, preoccupied would you say preoccupado? Yes. Preoccupado. 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 I might preach that Sunday. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> you, you need an interpreter. <laughs> okay. So it's like we have this barometer that says the more we trust God, the less we should worry about anything. Yeah, I think so. I think the more we trust God, the more we are content with God and who He is and that we can trust Him, the less we should worry, the less we will worry. Right? Okay. Well, like the disciples on the boat, they was worried. Were they? When the storm came up? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. When Jesus came walking by, they even looked at him and thought they saw a ghost. <laughs> yeah. You know, so fear and uncertainty and worry and concern can cr cause us to see things that aren't true. true. The enemy thrives on this. The enemy uses this against us. Okay? We'll worry about, you know, hey, I'm at that age where I'm thinking about... Uh, we're all thinking about health care, okay? I just saw my dad lie in the hospital for 10 days. He has good insurance. I'm thinking, am I going to be in a position to have that kind of health care when something like that happens to me? If I'm not careful, what can I do? I can become needlessly preoccupied <laughs> with that thought. Burning. 
You, you know, I wish I'd had this, you know, earlier this week when I was studying this, so I could have built the whole thing around it. I mean, it's it's really good. It's a good uh, definition. But if I get to focused on that, you know, <laughs> what happens? My contentment goes down. My trust in God goes down because I'm starting to worry and take control over. I got to figure out how to make sure that this happens for me. You know. And in the world we're living in, and the nation we're living in, we think in our culture that these things are promised to us. Well, what did they do before 1930? You know, before 1960, before these things became expectations and entitlements in our country to start with. People didn't have retirement accounts. I mean, you think about that, that people worked all their lives hand to mouth, farming, trying to eke out a living, and knowing that one day they were going to reach a point where they didn't have the health to even do that, and they had to depend on their children to, to take care of them until they died. And they survived. And they survived. Somehow. Some might say, well, but not very well. They were together. They were together. Yeah, I mean, and it's gone on. I mean, we're living in a very, what, little short window of historical time here where we've become to believe these things are absolutely necessary. Now, you know, they didn't have the health care that we have, so their lives were shorter in duration, but, you know, I don't know that any of them were sitting around fretting about it. They just took it a day at a time. God has ordained how many days we're to have, so who's to argue with that? You know, Methuselah had 969 years. I'm not going to get that many. God, I hope I don't get that many. <laughs> not in this world. <laughs> right? I don't want to live 969 years. I don't even want to live 120 years like Joseph. You know? 969. That's too many. That's a long time, isn't it? Huh. Whew. Makes me tired thinking about wrinkles. it. Huh? <laughs> Imagine how many wrinkles he had. Yeah, there's some needless preoccupation. <laughs> I think we just picked a hint. Got a hint, didn't we? <laughs> That's the phrase of the day. So, worry is inconsistent with our faith in God. Therefore, it is unreasonable and sinful. If we're honest with each other, it's sinful. It's characteristic of unbelief, of not believing in God. You know that I think King mentioned the disciples earlier. You know when when they were in the storm and yep. they were terrified. Right. And the problem they had at that stage was they didn't know who Jesus was. And you know our Christian walk is a walk where we are continually getting to know him more and more and better and better. And yes. With that, these things, trust increases, worry decreases. Yes, except. except I knew there would be an <laughs> After three years of ministry, they all scattered the night Jesus was arrested. Oh. Peter denied him to a little slave girl. When did they get to know who he was? Well, right. You're right. They didn't have the power of the Spirit working in them right. until after Jesus' uh, resurrection and return to the Father. But, but, I mean, there is truth to what you're saying. 
they had moments, you know. They're like us. When things were really good, they really trusted. They were really content. They were really believing, right? But when things got a little bit out of control, and I've been at the Sea of Galilee when when that thing turned into a, you know, a raging storm out there on the sea. We, we pulled in there one night about 8 o'clock, and, and the water looked like glass. It looked like a mirror. It was so calm and smooth. And at 12 o'clock, four hours later, I was awakened by the howl of wind, and I got up and thought the, the little kibbutz I was staying in was going to get blown off the planet. And the next day, the waves on the Sea of Galilee were, you know, this high, white caps everywhere. I mean, it was crazy. And we got on a boat to go across it uh, after it died down some. But, you know, that the terrain over there sets the scene for this stuff. You know, they probably set out that night the same way. It was calm. They were fishermen. They were tested fishermen. They'd been on that lake a lot. And so when that storm hit, it was some kind of storm that rocked the, their world. And, and it, scared, it scared them to death, you know. So it wasn't some little, you know, slow cooker that came up. It was fierce, and it came fast, and, and it caused them. And that's the way things are in our lives, things that we don't anticipate, things we think we've seen before. It may be a health challenge. It may be a loss of a loved one. You know, it can be the loss of a job, or it can get worse than that. You know, it can be lots of different things. And, and so... When those things come into our lives, we look back at a lot of things we worry about and go, what was I worried about that for? It's such a minor thing. I was worried about clothing and food and stuff. And now I got really something to worry about, right? God tries to put it in perspective for us. But it wears off, doesn't it? I mean, you talked about learning it. We do. We do learn. We learn how to rehearse, hopefully, what God has promised us. But the truth of the matter is we, we so easily forget. Look at the Israelites. You know, they were they walked across with with Pharaoh's army breathing down their necks. They trusted God and walked across the parting of the Red Sea and watched God drown Pharaoh and his army. And yet they were worried about whether they were gonna have any water to drink in the wilderness. Or we're tired of eating manna. We'd like to have something else to eat. Or how much longer? You know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, grumbled about leadership. So the context changed and they got so preoccupied with little things that they they lost sight of what they'd already experienced. We're thinking... Man, you just saw the ten plagues delivered against the most powerful nation on the face of the earth to liberate you from 400 years of captivity. And you're worried about how God's going to provide food for you out here in the wilderness? You know? You're worried about giants? Some big guys across the river there in Canaan? What is wrong with you people? But we do the same thing. We do the same exact thing. It's a, human, it's a human nature in us. And it's a hard thing. That's why I think Jesus is hitting on this. He's saying, don't be anxious. There's no need for it. You're wasting your energy and your time and your life. Needless preoccupation. 
That's so good. Needless preoccupation with the things in this world that you don't need to be spending time worried about. Think, of, think about this. I was thinking about this this week when I was studying this passage. Think about how much energy and time across the spectrum, let's just say in America, America, Western civilization, think about how much time and energy is spent worrying about what we're going to wear. Think about the student enrollment at Milton High School only. How much time do you think the girls over there spend worrying about what they're going to wear? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Think about going to shop for clothes. My most hated thing ever. You know, as you can tell, I don't buy any. <laughs> I just keep wearing the same thing. The best clothes there are are the ones you have in your closet. It's a true story. It's true. But we're preoccupied with that. You you watch the magazine ads, the television ads. It's all out there, isn't it? It's all out there. And we're worried about that. Food. We get through eating a meal and we start talking about where we're going to eat the next one. Right? <laughs> now you're starting to mess. <laughs> Plowing close to your corn, yeah. your proverbial corn. <laughs> I heard a uh, take on the, on the Jesus in the, in the boat calming the storm. And this was in, in a version I've read in the Bible. And it said that, and after he calmed the storm, the disciples were terrified. Yeah, different point, terror. Yeah. <laughs> Who is this? Yeah, that that even the storms, the, storm. the wind and the rain obey his voice. Whoops, we were wrong. We were fearful of the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, okay, we got to hurry. We got to finish. All right. Uh, worry is unwise because of our future. Think about our future. This world's not our home. These, these circumstances are not our destination. Making reasonable provisions for tomorrow is sensible. It's a good thing to have a, an account for a rainy day. Okay? We're not saying. No attention to preparing or planning for the future. That's just silly, isn't it? That's being smart. That's being sensible. But to be anxious for tomorrow is foolish and unfaithful. Some can't find things to worry about today, so they worry about tomorrow and next week. That might have been plowing close to somebody's corn. <laughs> Jesus says tomorrow will care for itself. What does this mean? He's not advocating carelessness like a hedonist who just lives for the, pre the present enjoyment. But it's a conviction that God's children know He will take care of them tomorrow. Whatever I face tomorrow, and this is what I have to rehearse. I have to go back sometimes in my life. And I had one just the other day where I wasn't having a very good day. Some things didn't go the way I wanted them to go. I was, I was unhappy, disappointed. Lots of things, okay? And it bugged me. I was not content. I was discontented. What did I do? I stayed in that state of discontentment longer than I, I should have. And I'm confessing that. But it hit me. I've been in worse situations than this. I've been in more desperate situations than this. God's always brought me through. Maybe not in my timetable, but in His. He's provided. This too shall pass. Right? 
And if it doesn't, my hope is that he's going to take me home beyond this world at some point in time. So my hope is in my future with him and that this is temporal. This is temporal. It does not control me. And I have to release it and give it to the Lord and say, I, I ought to not worry. I, I prefer to be content because you will lead me through this and I can rest in that. This will go away. This will pass. And it did. God's children know He will take care of tomorrow. So, you're trying to sleep. It's well after bedtime, but you're tossing and turning and unable to get comfy. You notice you're replaying the same scenario in your head. Some vision of tomorrow or what might happen. How a hope could be dashed. If you've had this experience, you're far from being alone. One researcher said, this is what breaks my heart about worry. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. I'll say that again. It makes you miserable in the present moment to try and prevent misery in the future. For chronic worriers, this process leads them to be continually distressed all their lives in order to avoid later events that never happen. Worry sucks the joy out of the here and now. In his study on worry, participants were asked to uh, record their worries and how they caused distress and interfered with their lives. Each night at 10 p.m., they reported how much time they spent thinking on each specific worry throughout the day. Then 20 days after that period, they reviewed their each entry and reported whether any of the worries had come true. The good news is this man's study found that in his survey of worrisome people, 91.4% of their worries never actually happened, came to fruition. Worrying caused only more misery and did nothing to help the worriers handle whatever they had been worrying about. This is mainly because the hotly anticipated events never transpired. Jesus said, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. Nada. I could almost have done this in Spanish tonight, right? Yes, sir? Yes, 